Our Bible reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and was beginning at verse 10 to the end of the chapter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm content, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, really good. Keep your Bible open here in the end of the book of Philippians. Uh, we have finally made it. Uh, after a couple of months, a little bit longer than what I anticipated, uh, we're finally at the end of this letter that we've been considering uh, together. Uh, there were sermon outlines handed out on your way in through the welcome desk, uh, some kid sheets as well for them to do. Uh, if you don't have one, you can go and grab one. Uh, maybe that helps you follow along with some questions at the bottom to think about afterwards or maybe do in your growth group this week. Before we dive in, let's uh, pray and ask for the Lord to speak to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you do indeed speak. Thank you that you have spoken in the past. You've enabled your word to be written and recorded. You've kept it safe. Thank you that we have it so freely today. And thank you, Lord God, for the work of your Holy Spirit, uh, that he helps us understand it. Uh, he brings it deep into our hearts and enables us to live it out. And we pray that he would do that this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I personally uh, feel like over the last couple of months, I've gotten to know the Philippian church just a little bit more. Uh, hopefully you have too, as, as we've been making our way through this letter. I, I've been really encouraged by them at, at different times. Encouraged by the work of the Lord Jesus in their lives, uh, their growth in faith, uh, their standing firm in the gospel, uh, their standing firm together in Christ. Uh, I've been a little concerned about them at, at times. Uh, I felt for them. Uh, some of the things that they've faced, the, 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 the threats that have come to them from the outside, uh, the persecutions that they are beginning to experience. Uh, the threats to the gospel that are present with them, those false teachings which, which are threatening uh, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
We've been concerned for them too, haven't we? Uh, Obviously, things aren't perfect for them. Uh, We've read about one of the divisions that existed in the church, uh, and divisions are never fun in the church, and they're, uh, they're hard to sort out. But today in this final section, as, as we wrap this up, I think we're going to be both encouraged and challenged by them. Because in one area in particular, uh, this is an outstanding church, which is a great example to us. Now, it's, it's, it's not in the programs that they run. Maybe they did run great programs. We, we actually just don't know anything about them. It's not in their evangelistic efforts or, or their music or, or, or any of their other things that go on. We just don't know a lot about them either. But there's one area where, where they stand out as excellent, and that is in the area of generosity. In their giving to Paul and their partnership with him in the work of the gospel. That, that's actually where the letter started, wasn't it? If you can remember all the way back there. It actually started with Paul thanking God for their partnership in the gospel from the beginning up until this point. They have been faithful partners in supporting Paul in the work that he's been doing. We read about that here, even in verses 14, 15, and 16. From the beginning, they, they, they partnered with him. They supported him in the work that he did, was doing. In fact, there was a while there that they were the only church that was providing for his needs in the work that he was doing. And it's continued up until this point. He's writing to them and he, he's expressing his thankfulness for the gift from them that one of their members, Epaphroditus, we've, we've looked at him a little bit earlier, that he has brought to them. They are standouts when it comes to generosity. Now, if you're sitting there and you're a little bit worried that we're going to finish this letter talking about generosity and giving and money, uh, I have both good news and bad news for you. <laughs> the bad news is, yeah, we, we are kind of going to talk about giving and generosity and, and money. But the good news is, The good news is actually not about the money. If there's one thing that we can learn from their generosity is that it's actually not about money. It's actually about the heart (laughs) and what it loves and what it longs for and where it finds its hope. So what I want to do as we go through this section this morning is I want to actually notice how the gospel... How the good news of Jesus, death and resurrection, reigning and returning, how that actually changes our hearts and changes our focus so that we can become generous people. I want to look how it changed Paul's life, how it changed the Philippians, and how it made them generous for the sake of the gospel, and how the gospel can make us generous for Christ's sake as well. We too, who, if we're honest, often struggle with money and giving and to be generous people. Going to divide this up into three parts. They're on your outline. Uh, You can follow along. Let's start at the beginning. And really, we're starting with Paul himself. In verses 10 to 13, where Paul talks about his own response 
to the gift that he has received from them. Now, money and giving are always tricky subjects for Christians to talk about. They're always tricky subjects to preach about. Now, that doesn't mean we don't talk about it or we shouldn't talk about it, but it means that we actually need to be careful how we talk about it. And, and Paul actually reflects that here. He is very careful in this whole section how he speaks about the gift that he's been given. He's actually really careful not to be seen as money-hungry or pleading for more or a preacher of the gospel out of selfish ambition. In fact, that was a charge that had been laid against him a, a number of times in his ministry. And people had said, well, Paul's only in it for the money. He goes around and he plants churches so that they will support him. So he can just get a, a bigger and bigger stipend following him around. And so at various times in his ministry, he actually refused payment from churches. He said, no, I'll, I'll work for my own money. I don't want to be a burden to you. And here, what it means is that he goes out of his way to make this not about the money. Actually, you notice something as we read through that? He never actually thanks them for the gift. He thanks God for their partnership in the gospel. Uh, he recognizes that through them, God has provided for all of his needs. He thanks God for their partnership, but not actually for the money itself. That's actually worth noting, isn't it? It's actually quite different. You see, Paul, as he tells us here, he's learnt something. You know, notice that word learnt is there twice in, in this opening section. It's there in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Verse 12 again. I know how to be brought low and I know how to be brought, uh, how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being in plenty and a hunger, abundance and need. Paul has learned throughout his life walking with the Lord Jesus, he has learned to be content. He's learned that whether he has a lot or a little, he's in need or he's in abundance. He's learned to be okay with God, with what he has. Now, I'm pretty sure that Paul didn't learn contentment uh, through his observations of the world around him. Because I don't know about you, but I think I learned from the world around me the very opposite of contentment. Uh, I learned discontentment. I learned to want more to need more, to be restless and anxious for more and more. It's like an inbuilt compass we have, isn't it? It just keeps pointing to more. And discontentment doesn't lead us to being generous people. I find that discontentment leads me to being stingy. Because if I'm discontent and I want more, the last thing I'm going to do is to give it away. So how does Paul then learn to be content if he doesn't learn it from the world around it. Well, it's actually there in verse 13. This is the secret that he has learned. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That, that's a well-known verse, isn't it? You, you may have quoted it before. I certainly have thought about it before. It's, it's one of those verses that pops up. But it's interesting when we read this, 
in context here. Paul's not talking about a great project that he's working on. Uh, he's not talking about surviving a tricky relationship or, or a very trying situation, although all these things are true. He's actually talking about his contentment. He said, I, I can do all things. I can be content in all situations through him who gives me strength. My, my life, I can be content in because Christ gives me strength. In my ministry, I can be content with what I have because, because Christ gives me everything that I need. In Christ, we find that our lives are actually not our own, but they belong to him. In Christ, we find that, that he is the one who is working his will out, his, his purposes out. And sometimes that leads us to, to plenty and sometimes to want, sometimes abundance and sometimes need. And being content with what he gives, we can be generous with what we have. Whether that's money or time or affection, whether it's energy, all of it. Christ strengthens us with what we need. You see, contentment is a flow-on from the gospel itself. Contentment comes when we recognize that all we have is from the Lord Jesus. And all we have is for Him. Contentment comes as we look to Christ before we look at our bank balance. When we're anxious to know him more than to gain more. When we don't compare ourselves to others and what they have or what we don't have, what they don't have, but we look to what we have gained in Christ. All right, second thing I want to notice here that leads to generosity, and that is a kingdom vision. A long-term, big-picture view of the world and what, particularly, what God is doing in it and a desire to participate in that work for the glory of God. Now, verses 14 to 16, if you just glance down, we, we sort of covered them before. Spell out the way that, that the Philippians have contributed to Paul in the past. Uh, it's a long-term partnership. It's probably uh, 10 years uh, at this point. Uh, and then all the other churches at times had dropped off. They, they had kept on going. Then in verse 17, look at what he says. He says, not that I seek the gift. Again, careful how he talks about money. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, this is a weird statement, isn't it? I found this to be a weird statement and not an easy one to understand. Maybe we break it down a little bit. It might be helpful. So let's start with, I seek the fruit that increases. What is this referring to? Now, one option here is that Paul is talking about uh, the fruit in the lives of the Philippians. Uh, so we know later on, uh, or in a different part, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So those things that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, that sort of fruit. Jesus talks about fruit in John 15 where he says to re remain in me and you will bear much fruit. And maybe it's 
It's character, increasing godly character that Paul is talking about here. That might work, but I I don't think that's actually what, what he's saying. I think an option that's probably more likely is that he's talking about fruit, increasing fruit that comes through the ministry and the work of the gospel. That's really the reality here, isn't it? Their partnership with him in his gospel work. That, that's what he's been doing. It's the fruit of converts, people putting their trust in Jesus. It's the, it's the fruit of, of new churches planted and, and leaders raised and elders appointed. Uh, people trained in, in, in godly living and how to share their faith with others. In John uh, 4, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. The fruit there is people coming into the kingdom of God. In the next book of the Bible, in the the book of Colossians, uh, Paul will talk about uh, people bearing fruit in every good work. So the fruit of people hearing about the Lord Jesus. Paul's saying here then, I don't seek your money. I, I, I don't want your money. I want to see fruit that increases. I want to see people one to the Lord Jesus. Now, then he goes on to say, to your credit. And that's even more awkward uh, of a phrase to think about, isn't it? You know, as Paul kind of picturing, there's, uh, there's kind of like divine scales here. You know, on one side are our our debts, uh, all the things we've done wrong, all the, the, the thoughts and the things that we haven't done, and credits on the other hand, and the things that we've done well, and maybe he's saying, well, I want more on this side. We know that's not the case, don't we? We know that's not, that's not the gospel. God doesn't weigh up and decide whether or not we're going to enter into his kingdom, because all the debts have been wiped through Jesus, and the credit side has been filled up to abundance through his life. That's wiped away. But as Jesus spoke, he often talked about his people, people who follow him, working for treasures in heaven and being rich towards God. And and I think this this is what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the Philippian people through their generosity, through their giving, having fruit that increases, people being brought into the kingdom to be rich with God. He's talking about their support and their encouragement of Him in the work that He is doing for things that last into eternity. You see, when our our lives seem very small and very self-focused, we need to be reminded that our God is doing something magnificent in this dark and broken world. He is building something that will last into eternity. Where, Where everything that is wrong is going to be burnt away, God is doing a work that that will last through judgment and on into eternity. He's building his church. He's establishing 
a kingdom on earth through the, through the preaching of the word. People are being saved and brought into eternal life. And so Paul is saying, Philippians, when you're generous, you are contributing, you are being a part of that, that great kingdom work that is going on. He's saying to people at South Barwon, when you are generous with your time and your money and your energies, when you're generous towards people and you're generous towards gospel work, you are being a part of this great thing that God is doing. Now, he doesn't need the money in one sense. You know, Paul says, I don't, don't, don't seek the cash. Now we seek the fruit. People's lives being changed. I think we all know the temptation that when we think about money and when we talk about money, and talk about being generous, is that we're tempted to be guilt-driven, aren't we? We need more. You've got, you got to give more. But guilt-driven generosity isn't helpful. It's not helpful for, way, for the way that the world outside views the church, because it views us as kind of money-hungry to start with. But it's actually not helpful for ourselves. Because guilt-driven generosity tends to be minimalist. It actually asks the question, what's the minimum I can give and be generous with and not feel guilty anymore? That's what guilt-driven generosity does, doesn't it? And depending on how tender our conscience is, that might lead us to give too much or too little. Probably too little. Guilt-driven generosity is the wrong way to go. The answer is to be gospel-driven, to be gratefully given, driven, to be motivated by gospel desires, to see God honored as his kingdom grows and people come in. Look at what he says a little bit further down in verse 17, verse 18. Talks about being well supplied through the gifts. Look at how he refers to them. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. He says, God is pleased, God is honored through your generosity and the work of the kingdom. God is honored when people are brought into his family. So the gospel answer to our self-centeredness and our Self-focus is to see broadly and with big eyes the work that God is doing in this world. And I want to be a part of that for the glory of God. All right, final thing that I want to notice that leads us into generosity. And that is a trust in God to supply all our needs. It's to believe and know to have faith in God that he has and he continues to give us everything that we need in Christ. Look at verse 20. Look, look at how he, sorry, verse 19. Look at how he wraps this up. He says, my God uh, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He says, as you are generous... Philippian church, he says, know that you have a generous God. Trust that you have a God 
who's given generously to you in the Lord Jesus. And he continues to give to you generously. Have you ever wondered why Jesus talked so much about money? He talked a lot about it, didn't he? He talked a lot about money because money is one of those competing idols, those competing gods in our lives. It competes for our attention, our love, our time, our affection. It competes to be the thing that brings us security. When we're struggling, we feel anxious about it. We, th- we, we think that money will, money will save us. It will, it will keep us secure when everything else around us is falling apart. But, but in the gospel, we have a security that is unsurpassing. We have a security in the Lord Jesus. And we get his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In him we know we're loved and kept and provided for. In him we have hope and joy and security. Everything that money fails to give us is given us so wonderfully in Christ. Now, the temptation to, uh, to go away from a passage like this and a message like this is to ask in the question, how generous am I? How generous are we as a church? But I, I want us to go away thinking about a different question. It's the question, what is the state of my heart? What is it finding security in? What is it loving? What is it focused on? Because generosity flows when we have hearts that were filled with the Lord Jesus. That know his strengthening. That see the great kingdom that he is bringing into this world and he invites us to be a part of. When we know how generously God has dealt with us. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you have dealt with us so wonderfully, so kindly, so generously. Thank you that you have supplied and you continue to supply all our needs. Thank you that we have hope and joy, and peace in Christ. Lord God, fill our hearts this morning with this knowledge. Move us so that we might love you more and trust you more. Move us so that we might be generous towards you and generous with others. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.